Boardwalk Audio Podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got one of my favorite writers ever this week, but first... The best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the support our artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and I get a little kickback. Uh, So why don't you go buy, I don't know, Comedy Bang Bang on DVD, because our guest this week is Neil Campbell, the former head writer of that show and current staff writer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Uh, Like I said, uh, he's one of my favorite writers ever. I remember listening to Neil on the podcast, Connie Bang Bang, and thinking just that he's like one of the funniest guys out there. I love all his characters. So this was a real treat, and I'm really glad he came to talk to me. This is going to be the first of what I hope will be a series of interviews with former artistic directors of the UCB Theater. I've got two episodes recorded one booked and one person I haven't reached out to. So will this happen? I don't know. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it will. I, I, I'm Enough to where I'm recording this intro right now. So if this happens, that'd be great. Anyway, like I said, Neil Campbell, he's great. One of the best writers out there. And it was a real joy to talk to him. So here is Neil Campbell. Uh, Neil, thanks for coming on the podcast. Of course, yeah. Appreciate thanks for having it. me. Uh, where are you from originally? Um, I would say I mostly grew up in Fairfax, Virginia, right outside okay. Washington, D.C. Um, moved around a bit uh, growing up. My dad worked for the military. Worked at the Pentagon when we lived there. But Oh, wow. Worked for the military, so lived overseas on an army base in Japan before that, and was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and stuff. But yeah, mostly I would say Fairfax is my hometown. Wow, that's crazy. What, like, what do you do for the Pentagon? Uh, he did, like, budget stuff okay. for the Department of Defense, yeah. Wow, cool. Uh, were you, like, into comedy back then? Yeah. I, I was into, um... I was into a lot of, uh... You know, I kind I liked movies in general and, and, uh... You know, reading and science fiction and kind of a lot of stuff sort of nerdier boys like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... Um... Then, uh, uh, yeah, but comedy was amongst the things. I guess I wouldn't have necessarily, when I was growing up, thought, oh, that's the one thing out of all of these interests, you know. But it was also one of those things where, like, for a long time I'd see, like, uh, Jurassic Park or something and be like, oh, I want to be a genetic engineer. I'd see, okay. you know, I, I'd read, like, an Arthur C. Clarke book and be like, no, I want to be an astrophysicist. And then, like, later I was like, oh, wait, I think I actually like the act of creating <laughs> these stories more it's not mm-hmm. that i want the jobs the characters within the stories have i maybe want I'm, I'm more interested in like reading and writing and all of that so 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 sci-fi was like a big uh, genre for you yeah growing up yeah do do you think uh you use that kind of like those tropes like in the in your writing today a lot you know i think i certainly have mm-hmm. um with a lot of like sketch stuff, yeah, yeah. whether for Comedy Bang Bang or just at UCB, it was always like a, you know, if you're doing genre stuff, and I go, well, I know a lot of sci-fi stuff, and that's <laughs> always a starting point I can use. I would say, 
at this point, probably I don't use it as much as, but that's more so because for 10 years between <laughs> doing a monthly sketch show at UCB or working on Comedy Bing Bang, I was doing a lot of it. So, mm-hmm. were, were there any specific uh, comedy shows that you did watch like growing up? Yeah, I would say The Simpsons mm-hmm. and um, Conan O'Brien were probably the two things that I most recall. Like when I look back and I go, like, oh, that was comedy that I really liked. It was probably those two shows were like the earliest influences. Then there was, you know, Saturday Night Live and mm-hmm. I got to college and got into Kids in the Hall and then right after college, Mr. Show, I got into mm-hmm. and, um, and, uh, you know, certainly like, in like mm-hmm. South Park and stuff along the way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, if I had to really think back, probably Simpsons is where I first was like gaining an appreciation for comedy, whether I knew it or not at the time. Mm-hmm. Were you, uh, did you start performing at all in high school or? Very, very little. I did, mm-hmm. uh, what I, um, I had a freshman English teacher who let us sort of make movies. Like we, we could do an assignment every quarter that it was sort of like a pick your own project. And as long as you, you just needed to do a like creative project mm-hmm. that somehow incorporated something we learned about. And so my friends and I would make movies just shooting them on VHS and, and editing them from the camera into the VCR. And, and oh, wow. so I was doing a lot of that, but that was like, you know, they were, they were, they were always like comedies by default. They couldn't help, but you know, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. but we weren't like trying to make anything. It wasn't like we sat there and we we're going like, we got to come up with great jokes, but we were like, we know this is a goofy thing we're making. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes we still, it's like, you know, we're playing Hitman or something too. Yeah. And it's like, it's, goofy on a level we weren't fully aware of yet either um but other than making those things i didn't really do like theater and stuff until i got to college and then um started doing theater and acting in college and there was a weekly show in college that was kind of like an open mic for sketch comedy and started doing that Mm -hmm. and and performing stuff i would write so that was really where i really got into Mm -hmm. performing i guess yeah, you went to college at Iowa, mm-hmm. right? University of Iowa, yeah. And and so, uh, did you did you major in theater? Or I did wind up majoring in okay. theater. I went there for the cinema program, and I majored mm-hmm. in that as well. Um, but then I just my like freshman, my first semester, I took some like intro to theater arts class, and I just sort of liked the department, and I liked that they had a lot of opportunities for undergrads to either like write their own stuff or there was that show you know i mentioned it but then we could also just within the department write our own stuff and direct our own stuff and Mm -hmm. and kind of make your own thing and they were they were very supportive of that so uh there was only so many classes you could take if you weren't a major so then i just started signing up for the classes for majors and uh yeah wound up majoring in theater as well it's interesting that you started out as a as a cinema major Mm -hmm. Because I feel like a lot of people, like I was a film major, and I ended up, actually I didn't even minor in theater, but I did a lot of theater stuff. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people end up kind of gravitating towards theater from film. Yeah. Probably because it's easier to like do stuff. Yeah, that's, that's and this is, you know, University of Iowa in the like very late 90s and early 2000s. So it, I think like maybe they had some digital cameras by the time I yeah. left, but... There wasn't a lot of, like... Like, my friend Mike Cassidy and I made, like, a 70-minute film one summer oh, wow. uh, that I haven't watched in, like, 10 years. But um, it, it, we would still just do stuff on our own, taking skills we had learned, I guess. But I think, yeah, exactly. Like, I was majoring in, in cinema, 
and the production track was such that I, I I don't remember exactly what it was, but it felt like oh by the end of my like third year I'll have like one non sync yeah. sound <laughs> short film, you know. Meanwhile, in the theater department, you, they were like undergrads, just like a year older than me or my you know age even. They were doing like the writing plays that got into the 10 minute play festival. That was like kind of a big event that would sell out and people would go see these plays undergrads wrote, or they'd stage these workshops or whatever. So, um, so it just sort of felt more like, Oh, I can actually, the theater department is where I can like get, like do work and put it up on its feet and, and try things out. Um, but I still love film and actually I'm kind of glad that then I sort of focused more on like the film studies Mm -hmm. track rather than production. And so you said you're doing uh, the open mic. It was No Shame Theater, right? Yes, No Shame. That's right. And uh, was that just like a general theater open mic or specifically sketch comedy? It was general. It was really general anything. People could do songs, poems, uh, serious stuff. Um, it was just like I think he had five minutes or, or whatever. Um, and it wasn't even run by the school. It was in the theater building, but it was sort of its own independent organization. Um, and so that had been started in like the eighties and then just kind of passed along different like boards of directors or whatever over the years, just comprised of people, either students or people in the community who were regular regulars at the show. Um, yeah. So it wasn't always sketch, but I would say it was, I forget how many were maybe 15 pieces in a given show. I can't really remember. Oh wow. That's and a lot. yeah. And, um, Maybe it was 10. I don't really remember. But it was, I would say, you know, 80% of them were either a sketch or a comedic monologue. And then there'd be just the occasional, like, this one dude always played a song or whatever, you know. But he, <laughs> we liked him, too. It was cool. It made you feel like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is more than just comedy. Wow. So uh, Iowa must have had, like, a really good theater program with all that, like, every week. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. I, well, and the thing was, the thing that's funny is... I think I did have a good theater program, but the people doing that show were more like some theater department people, some people who were just like locals um, because it wasn't just for students. Some people who were, you know, involved in community theater, some people who were maybe students, but not specifically theater students. So I was one of like, like it was almost two different crowds. Like I'd go to this show every Friday and hang out with like the no shame crowd. But then when I'd be in plays, or go to theater parties or something, there would be just a, a small amount of overlap, I would say, between the two worlds. It wasn't it wasn't fully the same. But the people in the theater department were great as well. Uh, and is this where you met Paul Rust? Yep, I met Paul doing the show. Yeah, uh-huh. I was a junior when he was a freshman, and I was, at that point, one of the like board member people, and I was uh, co-hosting the show. And he came and signed up early in the or some point during the fall semester, uh, my junior year, his freshman, and then he did it. And I remember watching and going like, oh, that was great. And then after the show, or not even after the show, like the next week I saw him in front of the film building. And I just, I went up and I was like, hey, that was great. You got to keep doing the show. So that was how we met. Yeah. Uh, did you guys uh, start collaborating pretty quickly? You know what? Not really. I think mm-hmm. we were mutual admirers of each other's, but... I don't think we wrote anything together until until maybe the end of I for, we, we we still have the first sketch we wrote together and it was either like my last second to last show or last show I did there oh wow or it was even like six months later when I was just passing through Iowa again when I was moving from New York to LA so mm-hmm. um, 
or a year later, I guess that would have been. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, it was, yeah, it was, it was, uh, uh, not, we didn't really uh, collaborate until, mm-hmm. until at the very end we were one sketch together. And then when he moved out to LA, we certainly started collaborating a lot more. Do you remember what your first sketch was that you were together? Yeah, it was called, um, two guys are trying to go to sleep, but stuff keeps waking them up. <laughs> okay. Stuff like that. And so it was just like, we're two guys and we're trying to fall asleep and then people just keep bursting in and with silly <laughs> things that are, uh, that they they want us to do to wake us up. But like, we have to sleep like, is the thing. So there's like, you know, like people who are inviting us to have a good time. Yeah, and yeah, we're yeah. like, we can't do that right now. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's silly, but it's, it's less like mortifying to look at than some stuff from that era where it's right. like, I was like trying to be like, serious or you know say something <laughs> like well, that sketch sounds very much like in the vein of something you guys would do yeah yeah it's it's i mean it's like supremely dumb but it has surprisingly not aged poorly like mm-hmm. on a conceptual level yeah. it's like unlike yeah. your george bush sketches yeah yeah like our george bush or just like our like okay i've already made people laugh now i'm gonna make them right. like think or i'm gonna do something that's all like abstract or absurdism like like samuel beckett himself or something you know so we uh it you know it was not a self-serious piece. did you do a lot a lot of stuff like that yeah i mean like honestly i probably did less than i really recall i just those things like you cringe even thinking about them, so it's probably like not. It probably wasn't as bad as I uh-huh. as I imagine it was. Well, I mean, it probably is as bad as I imagine <laughs> it was. It probably just wasn't as frequent as I thought it right, was right. in retrospect. So after college, you moved to New York. Yep. Uh, what, what was the thinking behind that? I had interned in New York for a summer. Um, I hope this is fascinating for everyone. <laughs> I had interned at a theater company called the New Group. Um, for guy Scott Elliott's the artistic director of that, and and they were just the school off Broadway theater company, and I had a good time being there. And I was just like, at the time, I still was studying film, but I was like, New York's where like the independent filmmakers are at, or something. But also, I was like, New York's where theaters at, so New York's where I'm gonna go. And it wasn't like an anti LA thing or anything. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I interned in New York. I had a great summer interning there. I think it's a hip cool place that the with you know where like the cool artists go and then um uh yeah so that's why i went there and so uh you started there for a year just for a year yeah and then you decided to go to la yeah basically i graduated a little early from iowa and moved out to la and had a few friends out there i'm sorry moved out to new york um and moved in with a few guys who were a little bit older than me but had gone to iowa and just was kind of like, I mean, I never fully, like, I was out there and, like, I interned at uh, Killer Films, which was, like, a very oh, yeah. cool company that whose work I still love. And um, and then I got a PA job on the film Made in Manhattan. And I worked oh, on okay. that. And then I also got a job working at this, like, place called PS122, where I was, like, doing load-ins and running sound booth stuff for different shows or being just sort of a techie guy for shows. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, it was all like good experience, but I didn't really have like my crew there, my support. There were friends certainly, but not like the guys who I had been collaborating with at Iowa. Um, did, and did you know of like UCB in New York? You-, you know what? I went there once to see a Spank show. Oh wow! And that was the only. And I, it's one of those things where I look back and I go like, oh, if I had known more about it, I would have 
gone to like I, I would have signed up for classes and tried to find a community. I like just mm-hmm. didn't even know like to find a community. Like I made some friends interning at Killer, and I'd hang out with some of those guys sometimes. But even then, I was like, I like you know, I was like twenty one, twenty two, and I was just like you know a big old dork like <laughs> in New York City. I never like fully like was like oh everyone else around me is wearing like tighter jeans than I am <laughs> or something like I was just like oh so um uh yeah I think anyway it was it was all good mm-hmm. I had a great time in New York I love New York but uh I was just started so Mike Cassidy was a guy who I had collaborated mm-hmm. with a lot at Iowa and he had graduated um Six months later, then he had traveled a bit. Like I think he went to Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Maybe it was that. He had traveled a bit anyway. And then it was sort of getting to the fall, near winter. And I was like, not hating New York, but just sort of like, yeah, maybe I'll do something else. And Mike was like, hey, what about L.A.? And um, we just decided to move to L.A. Yeah. So when you're in L.A., uh, that was pre the UCB. Yes. So... uh, when you're going there, you're not thinking like you're going to do stand-up, right? You're still thinking kind of... Well, yeah. I guess when I got to L.A., I was not necessarily thinking I would do stand-up. Mm-hmm. We pretty quickly started doing sketch stuff. And I, I don't remember the exact schedule we were on. We started doing sketch stuff. And it was also like back before YouTube when like sketch groups had their own web page and posted their videos as like dot mov files like following like the stella oh, uh, right. shorts model you know mm-hmm. and so like we had a sketch group and we made a couple short like sketch shorts that are very i'm sure just like stella ripoffs <laughs> and posted those and um yeah and so we started doing sketch stuff and then somewhere along the way and all that and then paul moved to town and we started going to open mics just to sort of get stuff up and and try to become part of a community even though i don't think any of us were like super interested in stand-up uh specifically we we at least started like doing bits and stuff at open mics and mm-hmm. getting to know more people and then you know like-minded people would would put us on their like weird shows and you know like there was a sketch group that hosted a weekly show called spectacular on ice and we would do their show a bunch. Oh, okay. And then eventually, and that's like Pat Healy, Josh Fadum, uh, oh, yeah. those guys. And, 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 uh, then, uh, then along the way we met Kulop and then she put us on a show and then Scott Ackerman saw us on that show. And then Scott started putting us up on comedy death ray. Yeah. So it's, it's weird. Cause it seems like before UCB, there wasn't much sketch stuff in town. <laughs> No, I mean, at, at least not the couple years prior. Uh-huh. Like, we had all read the Mr. Show book that, like, oh, Naomi right. Unikirk wrote, and, like, it's talking about, like, the Diamond Club or whatever, where mm-hmm. it would be, like, Bob would do a half-hour show, then Andy Dick would do one, and we were like, oh, that's what we want, is a place mm-hmm. like that. Um, There's that place, uh, uh, the Public House, used yeah. to be, like, Pablo's or yes, something. Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. Someone told me that recently. Yeah. yeah. So, we, um... We were sort of desperate for a place like UCB. And then we really met Scott. And we would, like, rent out the M-Bar or whatever to do our sketch show or or just other various places. And, and we had a weekly sketch show at a place called Zen Sushi that's no longer around. That's, <laughs> was, it, was this little sushi restaurant? You know what? It had a whole back room. And it, they also had this, like, punk night called, like, Kiss or Kill or something. <laughs> and we were friends with, like, a drummer one of the bands. And then he told us they were going to do a comedy night. And we got on, like, the weekly comedy night. 
Um, but like there are sometimes be two people in the audience, you know, <laughs> but that's, that's a place on Hyperion. I forget what it's called now. It's called like, um, Mar, uh, Mare or something like that. Mare. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then it's, but I think the actual, it's like split. Now there's another place called like your friend or something. The friend. <laughs> I, I think that's <laughs> where Zen Sushi was. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, so that's where we used to, to, to do our weekly show and then, and then had a few other things like that uh but yeah but there wasn't a lot of sketch and so then scott had seen us i think scott loves sketch and so he was like happy that we were doing some sketch stuff and um liked us and put us up on death ray and we hosted death ray and did sketch stuff and did that once or twice before uh ucb opened Mm -hmm. and then ucb opened and those guys i I think had sought out scott and Coolops' advice on like who are cool people that you should book that we should book here and they Mm -hmm. both recommended paul and i and then paul and i immediately started doing like two man you know, stuff at ucb like right away yeah uh you you were in the first ever ucb sketch class right yes top by top by scott top yeah. by scott uh what was that like that was great it was really fun i mean it was um not any sort of ucb curriculum like it was the first ucb class i took at all and it was, um, it was. They went. I'm sure to Scott, like teacher sketch. Do you just want to teach a sketch class? However, you want to teach it. Mm-hmm. And so he taught it like how he writes sketch, and and it was great. But it it wasn't like we learned about game or anything right, like that. Right. <laughs> it was it was uh, more like we'd learn about collaborating and almost like being in a writer's room in a way. Oh, interesting. Um, where we'd like sort of pitch and uh, then write in class and and rewrite and stuff and. Yeah, it was it was uh, yeah, it was, it was sort of like a, a, a putting it into practice in a way. Uh, was there like was there any like nugget of wisdom that he gave you in, in that class specifically that you still like think about or use? No, not that. No, I mean, like I've learned a million things yeah, from yeah, Scott, yeah. but I don't recall one in the class that was like a uh, like a key that unlocked it all. It mm-hmm. was it was. I think it's just been more absorbing. A million little things over the years. Uh, right, right. You know what? I maybe uh, I would say is um, something that that I've learned from him at various points. But I do remember coming up in that class was just if someone's pitching anything at all, like especially in like a class setting. I get how things professionally, the time becomes an issue and whatever. There's there's other factors, but to like really investigate and go like, well, what's funny about this and, and what could be a good sketch, even if it's not mm-hmm. the thing, the person pitching it fully had in mind right away. What, if they thought it was funny and you think that's a funny person, like what is, where, why is the, like what's in there? That's like a, the seed of this that makes this like a funny idea. And, and you know, you can go down that road a long time and, and mm-hmm. wind up with nothing. You can sort of go like, Oh, you know what? Maybe this just isn't the one, but it was good practice to not just sort of that he was never just like next next or something that it was like we would really talk about and dig into each idea before mm-hmm. like moving on or finding something and, and writing it up that seems like a very mr show yeah you know, because, I, yeah i think that's probably cause i think it was like a direct response to like when i think when he was when bob odenkirk was on snl yes yes i think you're right i think i remember hearing that that's yeah. interesting yeah uh so before you're or during the class, you're you're performing at the theater. Yes, I don't know the exact timing, but mm-hmm. but pretty much, yeah. Like we had a the first month the theater was open, it was like a billion people had half hour slots, 
Wow. <laughs> to like test out shows. Mm-hmm. And then Besser would watch like all of them and give notes and, and engage with people who clearly wanted to be involved. And, um, of, you know, those plethora of shows. And also like, by the way, no, we were all terrible at like keeping them to a half hour. It wound up being like everyone did like a 45 minute show and, <laughs> and people were just getting like hot and tired by the end of these nights. But, uh, but he gave us a bunch of notes and, and we took them and, pretty much like rewrote our entire show i think we kept like one thing that so from the the show we only ever did once we rewrote almost the entire thing and and there was just like a lot of like plot and story through line stuff that we cut down to just being sketches and um and then we ran that sketch show that fall uh so so because the ucb opened in like july of 2005 mm-hmm. um but then we also in the meanwhile started hosting not too shabby which was similar to no shame like a weekly open mic at ucb yeah was was that based on no shame theater no we didn't even invent okay. the shabby <laughs> that was another this is like when i was artistic director people would ask me about how we i got involved at ucb i'm like it's irrelevant in a way because there's no way you'll get involved like this <laughs> because that was a thing where we had um paul and i so besser was hosting not too shabby and we went to the first one, and we each tested out a sketch, and that was that was purely an open mic for sketches. That wasn't uh, as as free form <laughs> as, as as no shame. And we did some sketches, and we came back the next week, and it was like Friday at midnight, and we were both in line again to sign up and do sketches. And he came out, and he was like, "Hey, I can't host a show every Friday at midnight." And we were the only two, and he knew us a little bit because you know, if we, I don't think we'd even done our show yet, but he had at least given us the slot and. We had met him at Garage Comedy, which was Kulop's show and stuff. And uh, so he came over and to us in front of the theater, and he was like, hey, I can't host a weekly show every Friday. Would you guys just want to host the show? And we were like, yeah, sure. And we hosted it for five and a half years. So wow, that's insane. <laughs> it was just because we were the only two guys who came <laughs> two weeks in a row. So That's crazy that Bester was hosting a sketch open mic. Yeah, yeah. Like he's like this, I mean, even back then, he was a pretty big... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think maybe it was a thing where it was like they were trying to get the theater off the ground right. and just get people interested in all the shows and maybe he maybe the plan was like i'll just host this until i find some guys mm-hmm. who seem like the right fit and then week two <laughs> he yeah. saw us so we're like yeah sure uh so you said you hosted five and a half years yeah were you performing uh new bits each week yeah that was really where we kind of uh, developed a, a practice or a style of this sort of hybrid sketch improv thing that um, we still kind of do in a, in a show we do now called Playhouse Masterpieces. It's one of my favorite shows. Oh, thanks. I love it. And that was all born out of Shabby, where like at first we were writing and memorizing a sketch or monologue or whatever every single week. And then it just kind of got to a point where we're like, we don't have time to like write and memorize each other's stuff or, or get a cast or whatever. And so we would just get to the show and we would talk a little bit before the show or maybe even during it after we like introed it at the top and we would put ourselves on at the end and we would just kind of go what's something funny and what's what are just sort of like the beats of it and it would just be a sketch where whatever we're fighting the devil or something you know <laughs> like uh, one of us is the devil and he's tricked the other and that kind of a thing and we just would sort of figure out oh three or four beats and then we just improvise our way through it with the dialogue mm. and um it would go well and we would just sort of enjoy doing that and it's the kind of thing that even if we did that if we try to take that approach to hosting like a stand-up show i think it would suck it was like kind of the right show to allow 
for that where it was like in a black box theater and everything else you're seeing is sketch so everyone's pretending there's a fourth wall and, and wearing costumes and stuff and no one's like no one like actually like very good, cool is showing up and like <laughs> making you feel like an idiot for like you know like like acting silly or wearing, wearing uh-huh. a costume or a wig or something like that so it was like a good a good playground for that kind of approach yeah that must be the great thing about like the Friday was it like Friday at midnight Friday at midnight yeah, yeah it's probably the, like the, the positive about that time slot yeah exactly mm-hmm. we we got a really kind of and, and yeah because it was also by the time we go on it's almost 1am so mm-hmm. we were just like oh we want to do stuff to keep people interested or there just feels like there's more permission to do something like weird mm-hmm. or Bizarre or whatever, yeah. Would you say like doing shabby every week is that how you like started getting uh, good at sketch? Uh, yeah, probably. Um, I had some, you know, taking Scott, you know, working with Scott whenever I had that opportunity, and and taking mm-hmm. Besser's class as well. That really helped, um, especially you know, learning game and all of that really mm-hmm. helped me kind of go from sometimes writing stuff and just going like I don't know why this one's good or this one's bad, mm-hmm. and getting to a point. And I remember when I first took Besser's class, I was like, I'm writing the worst garbage in my life. And the guy who founded the theater is mm-hmm. <laughs> reading this. He must think I'm terrible. Because um, it just was like, I was, felt like I was trying to hit the beats and hit the game and all this. And, and it felt really like mechanical. And I was like, I'm better than this. And then at some point, it just sort of clicked in. And I was like, oh, I see how I can use this as a tool as opposed to struggling <laughs> against it. And it, But it takes struggling against it to get to that point, I mm-hmm. think. Um and Bester was always, and, and Scott both were always really like generous with their time. If I had a bunch of questions or, or anything, and um, yeah, so that was always it, it was between like taking the classes and having then an opportunity to put stuff into practice every week. Uh, was Bester what was Bester's class like? Was it very much like the curriculum now, or even like? Yeah, it, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I don't know if they still hand out notes, but there were some notes that used to come out that were like the Besser notes that went out. With, for sketch classes at UCB. Oh, really? And those are things I wrote as, like, part of my internship. Like, <laughs> they were things Besser said that I wrote down <laughs> and turned it to that That's document. Um, and I think there, as I recall, there were two examples of things not to do, and one was a thing I did, and the other was a thing Paul did. <laughs> it was, like, lived on for a long time in the Besser notes that got handed out to every sketch <laughs> class. And, <laughs> like, the two specific examples are me and Paul. <laughs> so, uh, well, what were they? Um, one was about side jokes, and okay. it was like if you're doing a sketch about someone who can like, you know, who who's worried they're sitting next to a terrorist on a plane, um, don't, but isn't sure what to do. You know, the game was something mm. like that. It was like don't make a side joke about how like if you look out to the right you'll see ghost spider island or something like that you know and like that was that's just literally me writing down like him what he's saying to paul and uh mine was like a uh it was like just sort of think about your audience and what's gonna make them laugh versus like what's gonna like just provoke a different type of reaction Mm. and it was because i'd written a sketch that was like the scaredy cat uh like the whatever messenger, I forget that movie was even out yet. But that like the guys who go and tell someone their spouses died in oh, war. Yeah. And it was like a guy who's like scared to do it, right, and right. so the woman's like, "Oh my god!" And he's like, "No, I just was calm to come about to say your husband's doing great or whatever." And <laughs> it was just like a thing where he was like, "Yeah, but if anyone, if like there's something in the news about 
soldiers dying or if anyone's had that at personal life like how funny is this gonna be and so um it was funny i always was like yeah yeah, i get that and i put in the notes and all it all the note generally really is is like just like know your audience or think about your audience Mm -hmm. and um I remember just saying almost this exact story one time when I was teaching class. The guy got really mad. He was like, you should have fought for it. I was like, oh, no, I don't care about that sketch. If I was doing my, like, provocative, like, dark comedy show, I would put stuff like that in. That's fine. It's not to say you can never do it. It's saying be aware of what kind of reaction this is going to likely create. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's tough to predict that stuff. That's why... Uh, stuff shows like shabby are good i think for mm-hmm. people to go oh this joke bombed or this people couldn't get past the point where someone did something that was a little too fucked up for them or whatever you right. know it kind of killed the rest of the sketch or whatever that's uh that's funny because that side joke thing i think it's a very common like uh 101 thing that happens yeah yeah and it's funny because it's like all that stuff is like it's good principles to learn so you know when you're breaking the rules and, right. and the, you know, the way you're writing a sketch one-on-one sketch isn't necessarily the way you're going to write any, every, any place you get hired is going to have their own sort of house style for what they're looking for. And, and writing narrative is different as well too. So it's mm-hmm. all, it's, it's, it's definitely like a very, very good discipline to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, just, I'm and speaking as someone who taught it for years, like people get very, uh, antsy about it, thinking like they need, like it's a rule that that's saying like this is how all comedy is everywhere, right. and it's like this is something we're trying to a discipline we're trying to teach you in this class, <laughs> not something we're saying is like prove us wrong. It's never happened anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, so you, you started your own sketch group right before Mod Night was a thing, or was it as Mod Night became a thing? Are we talking about a custom daddy? Yeah, that was a mod team. Um, okay. Drew DeFonso Marks was the artistic director and formed the initial mod teams. And they were basically like eight or nine people who all wrote and performed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think a lot of us on that team, we were already doing our own shows. Like me and Paul were doing our shows. And then we also were doing shows with Mike Cassidy um, and you know, just other shows around. And um, so we. Drew was like, well, would you guys want to be on a mod team even? Um, not even. Like, he was like, oh, he was like, he was like, would you guys want to do this? And we were just pretty much like, oh, we'll do it if we can kind of, like, choose who's on our right. team. Um, and he was like, well, what about this lineup? And we were all like, yeah, sure, it looks great. It was all friends of ours. And then um, those mod teams performed for a few months, and then I became artistic director, and I decided... Uh, to sort of revamp the program. So then I paired a kiss from, I started a new monthly night with a birthday boys and a kiss from daddy Mm -hmm. and then sort of started over mod from scratch. And um, so we were never, after I was AD, we weren't a mod team anymore, but we did a few mod shows. Yeah. Interesting. What was your your thinking behind that? I don't even remember. (laughs) I think honestly, I think it was like, I don't think the the shows were necessarily great, and it felt like maybe some people should just be focused more on writing, and some people should be focused I more see. on performing. And there was maybe a lot of like uh, people thinking they deserved as much stage time as everyone else, who right. maybe didn't, and and like 
I was like, let's just maybe put a rule in that says it's, you know, or like put a structure in that says mm-hmm. like this person's a writer, this person's a performer. And I, and I, I always was kind of like, someone has a great packet and a great audition. Sure. They can do both. Like, mm-hmm. uh, but it just wouldn't happen a ton where people would even kind of want to do both. Right. right. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm hurting someone's feelings. Who was <laughs> auditioning and performing, but I don't remember a lot of people who are doing mod who, who even like auditioned and wrote packets to begin with. Some would, and mm-hmm. they're all fine. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm not, I don't know. I honestly am not remembering any yeah, yeah. specific, but yeah. And I think I just was trying to get a little bit more of like, like people just writing sketches too. a lot of like the initial mod teams. I think we're doing kind of lots of, sort of story sketch shows uh, and stuff and it was just it was maybe a little bit too ambitious I for like groups of like eight or nine people who had just begun working together mm-hmm. and stuff and I was like yeah let's just try to do like some sketch you know mm-hmm. this is uh, this is really random but I heard that you wanted to call uh, Mod Night Kumar Night no, I didn't want to do that. I, I don't. That was a thing that like came up, but that and I, I don't know how it's been associated with me. But I remember hearing like, I, I feel like maybe I was at the meeting. Gosh, I actually don't think I was. No, I wouldn't have been. Would I? No, I wouldn't have been. Uh, yeah, I remember hearing that around it too, but it wasn't. It didn't come from me. I mean, it's not yeah. impossible. I yeah. like. Like supported it or something jokingly, but but it would have been the funniest. thing. I don't thing. think that was my name. Yeah, Kum- like based off Harold and Kumar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so before that, you were mainly working like uh, as a duo, right, with Paul Rust. Yeah. So how was it like working with a whole team? It was fine because because I had already the the nice thing about that team was it sort of had what I think works for Paul and I as well, which is um. And we were never really beholden to each other. Like, Paul and I have only ever worked on stuff together. If we're like, this project would be fun to work on together. And we kind of have never really been in a situation where it was like, hey, you should turn this down because we're trying to make this thing Mm. together a thing. And if you take this opportunity, then that hurts me. And that, you know, we're trying to make this a partnership or something. And that was never how we operated and so I think that group was the same and possibly to our detriment that group had a lot of talent and if we had just gone like hey what if the nine of us or whatever try to band together and sell a TV show or something Mm -hmm. who knows maybe we could have done something like that but it sort of worked better I think for all of us to kind of be like you get out of it kind of what you put in you write a bunch of stuff it'll probably get some of that into a show People were always willing to come out to Shabby and test stuff out with you. You test it out. You rewrite it. You have the monthly show that would always sell out, so you get a big crowd, which is, you know, a thrill. And then mm-hmm. you do the show and, and learn something. It would go well or not go mm-hmm. well. And you go, oh, I got something now that I could maybe do again someday or something right. I'll never look at again <laughs> the rest <laughs> of my life. And, uh, you know, you just – everyone kind of, like, was able to – use that in whatever the way they wanted to use it. Some people had writing jobs and it was just a fun little mm-hmm. like recess thing that they would do when they could. And other people were trying to develop sketch packets with it or, or develop material that they might use on another show or something. Mm-hmm. So it kind of was like the right dynamic, I think for the nine of us that were on that mm-hmm. team. Um, as we, as we use it. And it was just like, 
it was great to do a weekly meeting with like eight super smart and funny writers giving you feedback on your stuff. And if anything, it was just like the way like writers groups operate, not just for comedy, but in fiction or poetry or anything where you're like, Oh, I get to like go read my stuff with a bunch of like really amazing people and get their feedback. And you know, I might take some of it. It might not take some of it and at least see sort of how it's landing on their ears. And, and, uh, like it was certainly valuable for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you became the artistic director, mm-hmm. ACB. Yep. Uh, when you were in charge of deciding mod teams, what did you like look for in packets? Um, good question. I, I mean, a lot of the time it was just to stuff make me laugh, you know, and I would definitely look and, you know, does this heighten you know all the stuff that you like are supposed to have learned in these sketch classes is there a clear game does it heighten does it heighten in the correct order you know is it explored all all the stuff that like are the things being taught in class and then i would also look at like voice i think that was always a big Mm. um something people would get upset with me about it not super upset but but at times would just like, well, I am trying to put together shows that I think are really good and that will like sell tickets and have b- not even like I assume things will sell tickets because they're quality, you know, things that like will have have buzz because people are like, oh, you got to really check this out and not just like, yep, you checked off everything on the list of like mm. those sketches heightened in the correct order. Good job. I I like liked when someone had like an interesting voice or and made me laugh and it was surprising and so that would I think just be a lot of it if you just go like oh this person like maybe not and it wouldn't just be me there'd be right. every packet you know we'd, we'd have multiple sketch teachers reading them and then if a lot of them very few were ever just like we're all oh. I think if, in fact if anything if a sketch teacher was like this one's a maybe even that someone else would read the packet and eventually a consensus would form so it was never stuff would have to be like you know kind of just like not that good at all like like clearly a lot of work needs to be done mm-hmm. uh, or this person needs a, a lot more practice for only one person to have read the packet otherwise and even then you would we'd have a spreadsheet you'd write stuff like a comment in or something so people would at least know who read what and, mm-hmm. and there was someone they had heard was great or looking out for they could go read it as well so there were safeguards to make sure no one just like was just like i think this sucked even though it was well written or something right um it would usually get read by more than one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of times it was just like having a voice, having a take, in addition to knowing how to write a sketch um, would be what I'd look for. But, you know, we at the end of any process, after the first read-through, there'd be like two people where you're like, yes, for sure. Then a bunch <laughs> of people where you're like, okay, it's worth a discussion. Mm-hmm. I remember a thing we would say a lot is like, are they one note away? You know, is mm-hmm. it, is it, it, no one needs to be like perfect. But is it like, you know, this person's really good and made me laugh and wrote surprising, funny jokes, but they just never wrote a justification in any sketch. You're like, well, you know what? That's one note. You give them that note in the second draft, they'll have a justification and great. There you go. So mm-hmm. I remember we would think about that a lot. We would we would not hold everyone up to like the level of perfection, but be like, does it seem like this person is a note or maybe two, a note or two away? Right. That's interesting you said about... Um uh, the if it, like uh, the voice and like the if it's like I know like when sometimes when I'm writing it feels very mathematical 
Yeah. Where it's like, well, this is the crazy thing, and this is the heightening of it, and this is the justification. And then it's like, like I, I think I used this example in another podcast. It was um, professional babysitter, and it was like a babysitter who mm-hmm. was very professional, and it was like take a Venmo would have like a cancellation fee and stuff. And I was like, this is uh, makes sense, but it's like not yeah. funny. Yeah, that's a big thing. I mean, yeah. a lot of like learning game, and that, that's what was happening for me in the Bester classes. I would mm-hmm. be like, this is the structure of this Mm -hmm. but none of this is like what tickles my funny bone and that's just like a hard getting those like venn diagrams to overlap takes takes uh, those circles to overlap and form a venn diagram i guess i should say takes Mm -hmm. takes a while um and and you still don't always hit it like i think this is funny Uh, no maybe it's not but um yeah that would be uh, it was just like you could just sort of read and, after you read a bunch of those you just sort of could tell who like takes some joy in writing and who you could mm. go like oh man they're they probably are proud of this joke and they should yeah. be like this was fun and funny to read I think another thing people get really I used to get really caught up on like every sketch needs this like Mr. Show mindfuck level premise mm. and especially when it's like you're a packet for like Mon Night or something that's definitely not true it's like it's all more like it's more like how something's written. Like you, you can boil down so many premises to like similar sort of setups and structures. But if someone just writes it in a funny way. It's it's you know more. It's enjoyable to read whether or not you're like. If, I, if I'm laughing, I don't care if it's like oh, but this is a job interview sketch, and I. I've right. seen a lot of job interview sketches. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but this one was written. Like, it's all in the how it's executed, not how original and brilliant is the premise, I think. Right. Or, you know, not to knock having a brilliant premise. <laughs> it's just like, it's all a balance. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a, like, super hard and fast rule that it's like, if you have a great premise, then that means the sketch is great, too. You know, and I think people would get a little caught up in that, maybe. And especially something for, like, Mod Night, like, especially for, like, a package for Mod Night, because they're looking for, like, clear games. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you can have a good, clear game that still is sort of, like, right. a cool mindfuck or something, mm-hmm. but uh, that isn't what every sketch needs to be, or even should be, and mm-hmm. can sometimes forget to, like, those are also sketches that are really like, hey, check out this writing. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, no, I also want to see really funny performers perform something, and you get only the, give them something to perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, so besides deciding the mod packets, you would also decide like the people on each team. Uh-huh. So like an improv, that kind of you can kind of tell that I think a lot easier because sketch. I don't know how you would decide which writers on the yeah, team. Yeah, I forget how we did it um, exactly, but you know, I think people would include a little like cover sheet in a way saying who are people they worked with or. Oh, I see. Um, you know, or, or or just collaborators they had, and maybe practice groups or, or independent sketch groups or whatever that we didn't know about, um, or wouldn't necessarily know about. And otherwise, you know, you just kind of like start to go, well, that feels good here. And is there the, if this person is like seems great at like structure and stuff, but maybe isn't like a wild man, and this person's a little. You know, or these two people are wackier, but maybe need to get reined in a bit or something. You go, well, maybe put one wacky guy, one structure guy on the same team, and <laughs> wacky gal and structure lady on the other team, whatever. You know, it was just sort of like matching up, I think. You, you know, you, you talk that stuff to death, and then right, it's kind right. of like, oh, it probably could have broken down 5,000 different ways, and mm-hmm. it would have all been roughly the same for the individuals, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, okay, so I got a couple of like rapid fire things. I'll go like, as fast as I can. Well, you don't have to go fast, but it's just like. So you wrote more an episode of Moral Oral. Yeah, that was purely through Scott Ackerman. Yeah. Uh, Dino, I think, had asked Scott if he wanted to write an episode, and he said, "Sure, can I write it with these two other guys, Paul Rest and Neil Campbell?" And mm-hmm. Dino was like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, we just wrote that over. Like, I never even went into the office or anything. We wrote that over at Scott's house, but it was really cool. Like, uh, getting to write something that got produced and seeing like jokes I had written like, right. executed on you know on TV. That was definitely a thrill. Yeah, because that was your first, uh, I guess, professional credit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think so. Mm-hmm. I, certainly, I think the first thing I got paid to do, uh-huh. I just forget how long it took before it aired, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were, you were also a consulting writer in Robin Big? That's like the biggest misnomer thing on my IMDb page. <laughs> Here's what happened. <laughs> Paul and I had been involved with a sketch comedy pilot called The Right Now Show. Oh, right. That, that Scott Ackerman and, and B.J. Porter had made for Fox in 2007. And Ruben Fleischer directed the, like, pre-tape stuff in that sketch pilot. So after, like, a month or two after we wrapped production on, on the pilot, Ruben, who had co-created Robin Big, asked Paul and I if we would want to come in for a week because their normal, like, creative consultant guys were out for a week for whatever reason and we could take their office and just like pitch ideas and we went in and like I think every day we would like get some assignment and we'd write up a list of ideas but mostly during that time we worked on like our own stuff and I think Ruben even knew that mm-hmm. he was like even apologetic of like oh, I should get I should have given you guys more to do or sorry it was just sort of not a weird week or whatever and we were like oh we felt like we should have done more but it was just you know be like what are 25 things Robin Big could do while they're camping or whatever. <laughs> so we never even worked on like, we never met these guys. We never worked on a specific episode or anything. We just wrote up a little list of ideas every day, huh. sent it in. And that was it. We were there five days. And then somehow I'm, it says, I don't know if this is even true, but it says like I'm a creative consultant or something on yeah. like 20 some episodes of that <laughs> show. And maybe I, we did get that credit for 20-some episodes. I don't know. But, uh, like, I don't know that any of our ideas were ever <laughs> even considered, much less executed. So That's crazy. Yeah, so it's this weird thing where it's, like, on my IMDb page is, like, one of my biggest credits. And I literally worked on it five days and, <laughs> like, just sat in office and write down some ideas and email them. And I have no idea what even happened to them. <laughs> Uh, but you said you worked on the the Right Now show. Yeah. Uh, what did you do for that? I was a writer. Yeah. Yeah. Did you? Uh, I guess there's only a pilot made, right? Correct. Yeah. So did you get any like sketches in the pilot? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I got to write a lot of stuff. That was definitely a really fun experience, uh-huh. getting stuff on, and that's where the first Between Two Ferns came from. Was mm-hmm. was part of that, and um, yeah, I uh, I feel like maybe some of the stuff got put online at some point i can't really remember there was some super funny stuff paul rust is super funny and and uh some of those sketches and and that got made in and casey wilson was great on the show natasha Legero, a bunch of i mean there's mm-hmm. adomian like super funny people were on that show um but yeah yeah i guess stuff made it was definitely a great learning experience mm-hmm. um but yep just was a pilot uh and you also wrote an episode of the simpsons mm-hmm how did that come about? Um, basically, they emailed me and asked. I think they... I don't know if it's like a... 
uh, I think maybe they have to like for WGA reasons or something like give out a couple episodes to freelancers every year. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if that's how that works. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm I, that's what I was told, and I'm not. <laughs> I didn't go fact check it, I guess. <laughs> um, but I had had a meeting there once and and pitched some ideas, and then it was like a year and a half later, I got an email and said, "Would you want to write a script and send over like a few pages of story notes?" And I sent in. You know, like a writer's first draft of the script, and then they rewrote it a lot, and then it got on TV at some point. So, wow! I mean, it was really like exciting. Just mm-hmm. Simpsons being such like a a touchstone for me, and it was a thrill to be involved in it in any way at all. And and certainly wasn't like a surprise or anything that like yeah, obviously it gets a thing gets rewritten a ton, and and um, so yeah, it was I was I was just thrilled to be have any involvement at all um but it's funny like after air people are like oh i really like this joke or something and i would be like oh well the, the guys who work there are like really 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 good at this are the guys who did that i i i kind of just got the ball rolling i think i gave them something to rewrite uh-huh. so they sent you the story notes and you did the pilot by yourself oh you didn't the pilot sorry but the episode by yourself and sent it back in yeah wow that's interesting yeah is that like a I don't know, did you, like, ever, did you, like, have a, if you had an issue with the story, would you have gone back to them and I said? I think I did email yeah. a couple times questions about this or that, um, and I heard a few more times where they would have a few more ideas mm-hmm. would get emailed to me, so, um, yeah, there was a little bit of back and forth yeah. on it. It wasn't just purely, like, good luck, but, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so Comedy Bang Bang. Yes. You were the head writer and executive producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously it happened through Scott. Yeah. Was he just like, did he just ask you to be the head writer? Um, I, you know, I don't, I wasn't head writer season one. Okay. Um, and I guess I, 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 I think it's just, I honestly don't remember if it was like someone saying to me, your head writer, or if it was just a thing that got said by him at some point, I was like, "Oh, I guess I'm head writer." Or, or if he if he did say it to me, oh, "You're gonna be head writer." I I truly don't remember how that came about. Um, or if I just started saying I was, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I would have done that. Um, but uh, yeah, but uh, but just in terms of working on the show, mm-hmm. um, you know, probably, like Scott had been doing interstitial stuff for IFC. And then and doing the Death Ray Radio into the Death Ray podcast, the Bang Bang podcast, and then uh, they, you know, he had been approached by FC about turning that into a, you know, sort of like what he was doing with the interstitial stuff, interviewing celebrities and and making it kind of like his his podcast, and um, yeah, and then we met up a few times and talked about what form that could take on, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, I, I I chipped in on the pilot um, uh, with some other really talented people and and mo- you know obviously Scott uh, steering the whole thing and guiding the whole thing and um, then it got picked up and yeah we got a ride on it and then and then season two I was head writer and head writer from then on so you went from being like a very prolific uh, person at UCB to now being uh, on this TV show. And then becoming the head writer. Was that like a huge jump or did it feel kind of right? Or I mean, it was, uh, I was hoping to do something like that. You mm-hmm. know, I, I had been working at UCB a few years and 
uh, had uh, occasional little successes here or there, or jobs, I should say, and uh, that were, you know, working on an award show or working on um, just, or, or just even like getting a meeting to maybe get staffed on a show, but then not getting staffed or something. So there had just been things like that over, over the years. And I was looking, I was hoping I would get a writing job. It definitely was like the thing I was hoping would come next. Um, you know, more so than acting or anything like that. And so I was pursuing it and, and yeah, that just sort of all came together and, and worked out nicely. Uh, what was like an average day in the writer's room? Like, um, I guess we would just, it would, you know, we had a great staff there and, and we just kind of, if it was just if it was just like before we were in production, we'd kind of come in and and whatever you know we'd be focusing on that given day. Maybe just like whatever sketches that like could be Act Two sketches, you know, just like a standalone sketch that could go almost anywhere. Or some days we'd go like, okay, let's focus on uh, stories, you know, like the through lines to episodes, and because even that evolved where like there weren't as many through lines season one, and then later there were and. Um. So, but like, let's say most seasons had like the th- like two mm-hmm. and on usually had some kind of like through line to an episode. So, you know, we, we would pitch on those, and then people would maybe team up and start to go off and write things together, or um, go off on their by themselves maybe to write a sketch or to to write a through line or whatever you know. And 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 other days we're just writing up like uh, you know, intros. He could say at the top of the show mm-hmm. or or. Uh, banter bits with him and Reggie or whoever the band leader was. So, um, yeah, it was just sort of like we'd focus on different things, different days. It wasn't a show, and I don't think any sort of strip show, like like sketch show like this has people go off and write on assignment. Maybe they do, but, uh, you know, it was like you would do the writing during the working hours. Mm-hmm. You'd come in and pitch, and we'd talk, and we'd kind of land on, like, yeah, that's... It should have this shape. Go write that up. Um and depending on how you know, if Scott was around, then he would it would be all going through him. If he wasn't around, then it would just sort of be like, well, let's not go write up a whole four act like story if but if he hasn't heard it, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So it would be sort of stockpiling like pitches essentially to wait till we met up with him, but then go through those pitches with him. Um, and, and if we had those stockpiled, we'd work on something else in the mm-hmm. meanwhile. So. Yeah, and then and then by the time the show actually gets going and we have guests booked, well then you got to write the sketches specific to the guests. Uh, you get the character guest booked. You're gonna, you know, talk to that person. Maybe they have an idea. Maybe they know exactly what they're gonna do. Maybe they have no idea and want some ideas sent to them. It sort of depends. So kind of once production gets going, like your needs get determined for you. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, we're shooting this and we need element X for this episode. Right. You know. Uh, so season one was like a very much like a talk show uh, uh-huh. parody, and it seems like after that it just went to like a general kind of yeah tropes like a parody. Was that like a very conscious choice? You know, I think we did talk about there was only like so like we weren't gonna do. You know, in the end we did 110 episodes, but I don't think we even thought we would do 20 yeah. episodes of season two. <laughs> Where every episode is based on, and every sketch and every bit is based on parodying something you've seen on a talk show. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that point, we had kind of 
there were recurring characters and we kind of created its own world. And so it was more like, oh, we don't need to have everything be a comment on something that's happened on talk shows. It can be adventures that happen all their own within this world Mm -hmm. that we've now sort of created. That said, a lot of the times those adventures were like topically about trends going on in television or movies or arts, the arts in general or something. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't always, it's not like it just became straight up, you know, story sitcom plots within a, this wacky world worth a talking couch or something. It was, it was still, it was still satirical, (laughs) I guess at times. Uh, I think, (laughs) (laughs) uh, when you guys changed band leaders, did that like uh, affect the show? Like in terms of, did you have more bits for Reggie that you guys didn't get to do, or more bits for Kid Cudi that you didn't get to do? Um, we probably always had extra bits we never got to do, yeah. uh, but that was that was true of everything, every mm-hmm. season, and, and, and true of with Scott as well, and with you know guests we had had on or guests we didn't have on, who we thought we were going to have, who dropped out, and we were like, oh boy, who wrote a bunch of good sketches for? person x <laughs> you know so um it wasn't ever really like especially because once you start a new season you're, you're there wasn't ever a lot of like oh all that right. work wasted you're just right. kind of like all right we're starting a new thing and here we go um but it was i don't know it always felt like a fun challenge when we mm-hmm. had new band leaders or some sort of change in the show like that it never was like uh yeah, it's, sometimes it's nice to have a little kick in the pants like that. It's I, I don't know how often I ever felt like, oh, I wish I could have just keep repeating the same things. Right, right, you know, right. like it's like, oh, this gives us maybe new stories or new ways to approach doing kind of the the storyline elements. Yeah, and it's like a new dynamic because all three of them yeah. were like very different. Yeah, with Scott. Uh, is there anything you wish you had done in that show that you didn't get a chance to do? No, I mean, nothing in terms of, like, a sketch or a character mm-hmm. or anything like that. I think it's just more the, you know, you, you just keep going on your career and you learn new things, you try new yeah. things, and you kind of go like, oh, maybe I could have tried this or should have done this or something. But mm-hmm. honestly, I don't even, that's, that's like, not even, I don't even really feel, I, I'm pretty proud of the show and, and I don't and you know there's nothing i can really think of that i was like oh man i never got to do this like if something was even sort of floating for a season or two like a character bit or something i wanted to do and didn't get on the air it's because it didn't like set the world on fire to begin with you know and i'm kind of like oh i would have rather have tried something new and and fun so Mm -hmm. um yeah no there's there's not really i've probably in the meanwhile like since it's been done, going like, oh, this could be an episode. Like, I'll talk to Scott sometimes where you see yeah. just something in media or something and, and go like, oh, that would have, I can see how we would have made a Bang Bang episode out of that, or mm-hmm. we could have turned that into something on the show. But, um, but yeah, I'd say that's been it. Uh, so you're currently a writer of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that happen? Um, I, I interviewed there. I actually met, uh, I met with those guys a few years ago. And then once, uh, but I was still working on on uh, Bang Bang, and mm-hmm. um, I think it was between seasons. And then Bang Bang got picked up, and I went back on to Bang Bang. And then once Bang Bang was done, 
I started working at Brooklyn. <laughs> like that was pretty, you know, I was, I was available and thankfully they were still interested and, and it worked out. Did they ask for like any, any script to read or they're just, uh, yeah, I think when I originally met with them a few years ago, they had mm-hmm. read a script I wrote. Yeah. You got a pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you write a, like had before you were doing Bing Bang had you written a lot of like pilots and specs and stuff? Uh, not a lot, yeah. but but I had one that I was uh, reasonably happy with, and mm-hmm. so that's served as my sample. At this point, is old and no one should read it, <laughs> but uh, uh, or it shouldn't it still be like my current sample? <laughs> like, but um, but it definitely did the trick for a few years. Mm-hmm. It's like here's his. See, you can write a half hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's a what's a typical day like at Brooklyn Nine Nine? Um, you know, everyone's slacking off, and I go in there and I got to crack the whip and get to, to pay attention. Uh, it, it's you know we got I would say a typical day. There's a story room going. Mm-hmm. And there's a rewrite room going. Okay, you're talking to me right now early in the year before we have any scripts in to rewrite. So it's been a lot of story stuff thus far, but eventually we'll be writing and rewriting 22 episodes so it's like yeah you got a one one room's working on story for a few episodes ahead maybe one person's off on assignment writing a script another person's on set for the script they wrote and then there's another room that's rewriting the script that's going to be coming up to shoot next or or possibly the one after next so Mm -hmm. uh yeah that's a typical sort of setup i guess for the day uh, has it has it been like a, a hard transition from writing uh, sketch to to like narrative thirty minutes? It hasn't been difficult because mm-hmm. the there's a lot of um, uh, you know I think there's just like that show is very well run and well organized and and what it kind of feeds off of well is like if you come in and you have some ideas and you have good jokes and creative energy and you're putting it into the show like. The show is will make sure it gets into the right story structure right. for the show. Uh, there, there's a lot of people that are great at that stuff, and and um, that I've learned a lot from. So mm-hmm. uh, it hasn't really been difficult in that it was never like, oh, something I think I'm terrible at, I need to do all on my own. And and uh, by the way, I don't think I'm terrible at it. But yeah. like if there if there that hypothetical situation had happened, I. You know, it, yeah, maybe that would have been made it a tough transition. But it's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, you know, we also I joined with like six. There were like six new writers when I joined the show. Oh, okay. So there's a bunch of new energy coming in anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was already kind of built in of like, yeah, we've got a. There's a bunch of people sort of learning the ropes this season. Mm-hmm. So at least the ropes of how this particular show operates. Um, yeah. Was it weird going from like a like a writer's room where you like knew everybody very well, you've been doing stuff easy for a while, to then going to somewhere else where you're probably people you're meeting for the first time and whatnot? It was a little different, but mm-hmm. I it was it honestly was like it was exciting to me. Like mm-hmm. I was like, um, you know, I was completely sick of the birthday boys and <laughs> Tim and Mike and Dave. I didn't want to see their faces anymore, and I was thrilled to get away from them. <laughs> so. Uh, no, it was the, the people there are great, and I was happy. You know, I was maybe a little nervous day one. I was like, oh gosh, what what if there's someone I hate? I'm going to be stuck in a room with them for years, and there wasn't anyone I hated, and uh, everyone was really. I've learned a lot from people there, and like, and that, yeah, even though I didn't have a ton of like narrative experience, 
um, other than really like a couple little things in writing my pilot and stuff, like I've been able to like learn a lot from that job, which has been really nice. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of part of the reason I wanted to do it. Like, like obviously, I love uh, the Andy Samberg and 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 the cast is great and the writers are all great and the, and, and the show's really funny and stuff. So it was nice to to have the opportunity to work on a show like that. Mm-hmm. But also, part of me, I was like, oh, I I've done. 110 episodes of a sketch show I'd like to try something a narrative show and 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 get a little bit more comfortable with that form as well has working on like a network show been different than working on a cable show yeah a little bit but it's not like it's a weird thing where it's not like it's not like you think it's going to be something it's not you know what I mean it's not like if you like like went to the beach and then you went to like someone's backyard pool that you would think like they'd be the same experience and I'm not even <laughs> trying to use those as like two <laughs> yeah. one of those means network there's no like code to that <laughs> I just mean like you go to one thing you're like I know what this experience will be like I know there's waves at the beach and I know that there's people around and I know like I'm gonna set out a beach towel oh if you go to someone's backyard pool I'm you know, I'm not. It's not salty. The water's. You know, I might go inside and use the restroom. I don't. I'm not gonna get sand on my feet. You know. You, so it's just like you kind of know what those differences are as you as you head into the experience, and so you're not ever too like shocked that it's different from the other experience. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so it's been different, but not in a way that where like like it. I didn't know what I was getting into or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the future, do you want to write uh, more sitcom stuff or more sketch or even something else? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of open to... I've sort of always felt like if an idea excites me, then that's where I'd like to... That's what I'd like to pursue, you know? And it can be something with other people and it could be something solo. Um Definitely, I think, after doing so much sketch stuff, I was like, well, I've used all my sketches. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't, like, you know, Scott gave me, like, a tremendous amount of, like, uh, opportunity to, like, put my stuff onto that show. So, uh, onto Bang Bang. So, I wasn't really left going, like, ah, but if I had my own sketch show, I would do this, this, and this. Right. Um, so, I think that is, but I was maybe a little bit more, like, Ooh, if I could write more of a narrative show, I could. That would be a new, different challenge for me. Um, so that's you know maybe in my head where I think maybe I'd go in that. But honestly, if if something occurred to me or some opportunity came up that seemed really exciting, I would I would go like I'm going to pursue the thing that seems fun and interesting, <laughs> and and don't try to worry too much about picking the form before the content. Right, you know? right. Uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up sure. with you giving your thoughts on something I wrote. So I'm going to pitch you like a sketch right now. Great. Okay. Uh, so it'd be announced that this guy's doing like a family tree project. Uh-huh. So it'd be like, he'd come out maybe and just say, I'm doing it. This is my family tree project here. And like, he's presenting it. So he comes out on stage and he says his name is Michael Bin Laden. Mm-hmm. And so he starts out, so he's, he's like, he's got like a PowerPoint. And he says like, I, find out, I found out that I have an infamous brother-in-law... That's right. I'm related to Toby Jones from the 2006 movie Infamous. (laughs) 
And then it'd be like, and then like my uncle's favorite numbers. <laughs> this is a stupid one. Like, <laughs> my uncle's favorite numbers are probably nine one one. Yeah, my uncle's Dick Wolf, the creator of Law and Order. And every, everyone has, like, a black sheep in the family. Mine is my cousin, this DVD copy of Black Sheep. Mm-hmm. And so we go like that, and then it would end with him saying... So basically, you're, everyone's expecting him to say Osama Bin Laden eventually. And it ends with him saying, all some related to Adolf Hitler. That's the black out. Great. So that's kind of, yeah. Um, yeah. My initialistic would be, like, I think it's worth just, like... It seems like you know the beginning, middle, and end, and it's like... I would say to someone if they were like pitching that in a class or something, I'd be like, "Well, try it out on Mod Night, or I'm sorry, on like Shabby. Uh-huh. Just like, what does the audience respond to? Because I think the thing that I could see is like when someone like you want to break the expectation, you know, like that's yeah. that's what's going to get the laugh is like, oh, I was expecting this, and instead it was this, <laughs> and. I think you probably will get that on, like, uh, a family tree. Okay, you know, last time it's Bin Laden. You probably get on the first one of, yeah, like, yeah. you know what I think it is, you know what you're thinking. And I do have a cousin, and it's Toby Jones, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, okay. But it, I, I. I just wonder if it'll be like, oh, you got your biggest laugh in the first like yeah. thirty seconds, and the rest were sort of like, yeah, yeah, we know there's a little bit of a trick coming, or we know it's not going to be Bin mm-hmm. Laden, um, and if it'll just be sort of like diminishing returns instead of like heightening, like, oh, it's yeah, getting yeah. funnier and funnier as it goes along. Um, and I think there's just also like Bin Laden in general can be a little like. Hacky as a reference, mm-hmm. I think where where it's it's shorthanded in a lot of like yeah. comedy stuff at this point as 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 like a, an edgier Hitler in a way you yeah. know and so I it's also sort of like but in a way it's a little it's it's still kind of safe because you're like well Ben Laden's been dead for five six seven years whatever mm-hmm. it is now six years and. It's kind of like, well, it's not that bad, I guess, if you're related to Bin Laden. Like, mm-hmm. the worst case thing mean. is, like, you're... This guy is, like, related to Bin Laden, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, oh, that's... If you're just, like, out in a sketch show saying that to this crowd, and the crowd knows you're a made-up character, and they're just the crowd at a sketch show, and for some reason you're giving them a... This this spiel, and, and then Bin Laden is, like, your... You find out your last name's Bin Laden. They find that out, and you're doing your family tree. It's kind of like, oh well, that's. I assume Bin Laden isn't an evil family through and through, right? You know, and so it's like the fun is, and then I think you maybe this. By the way, this is how I give notes on sketches. I talk in like crazy <laughs> circles, and then try to like land on a few things so that people aren't like, what? <laughs> but um, uh. You know, it's like uh, if you, if you were. I, I guess I'm just trying to say, if, like, if if you're coming out and then you're in a sketch show and you're like, oh, I'm probably been lying. It's sort of like, well, what are we supposed to like think about that as an audience? You know, are we going like, are we going like, uh oh, this guy has to do this now? Is it like, whereas like, let's say if you're doing some sort of setup, look, this is terrible. This is a very bad pitch. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not like being modest. I'm, I'm genuinely saying this is bad. But if like you knew someone was trying to impress someone and then they're called upon to give their family tree and they're like, oh, boy, and they got to like reveal all this like uh-huh. gnarly stuff and, and they're they're very ashamed by it. You know, that's that's I know that's sort of almost the opposite of this sketch, but mm-hmm. it's um, maybe something more for an actor to perform in a way. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, like, what's the funny of this? Is it funny that the actor is oblivious to the fact mm-hmm. that he's leading you down a path where it sounds like he's going to say Osama? But honestly, if he did say Osama bin Laden, what's so bad? Like, is the joke that he thinks Osama bin Laden isn't that bad? Is the joke that he doesn't know Osama bin Laden exists? Is the joke uh-huh. that he is, like, uh, trying to deflect from it and, and is does know, but he's sweating it out, you know? Uh-huh. So I think a lot of it is, is trying to figure out what that performances as well yeah. and stuff. I, I guess to what, what I thought was funny when I thought of this idea was mm-hmm. that uh, if you were related to Bin Laden, I'm sure you wouldn't want to talk about it ever. Right. And so doing a family tree project would be like the last thing you'd want to do. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and I guess that is different than what I pitched, I guess. I pitched something kind of different than that. Well, I almost would say like, that is funny to me of like someone ashamed and if they it's almost like if you like got up and you're like all right well we had to do a bin laden we had to do a family tree project obviously you know me michael bin laden mm-hmm. so we gotta talk about our relatives mm-hmm. um so here's my family tree uh as you can see my uncle is great. He uh, oh, yeah, he yeah, helped irrigate yeah. uh, all these farms. He really brought like a water to like a very uh, and someone like raises their hand. You know, like yeah. it's, it's the monologue might be a little tough about it, but like mm-hmm. if you had a full sketch. Someone raises their hand. Hey, over there on the left, uh, <laughs> the O Bin Laden. Uh huh. What's that about? Well, yeah. that's um, Osama. That's my cousin. Uh, he played a big terrorist act. Look, I also have a cousin, and he. You know, won a spelling bee in his county. You know, and yeah. it's, I, I don't know where I'm like, oh, I'm getting this guy is ashamed and doesn't want to talk about uh-huh. it. I think in terms of the pitch, I'm not. I wasn't clear on like it's the shame. Right. It sort of felt like is he oblivious? Andy has crazy relatives yeah, yeah. who are celebrities as like another sort of X factor in yeah, it yeah. as well and stuff. And and I like the more you can like have him deal with the. The shame and not having to go. I don't want to talk about Osama. Who can I focus on? Like, yeah, yeah. hey, we're not all bad. And then you could find surprises in there too. Or it's like, uh, I have a question. Is it about Osama? No, it's uh, over there. Uh, who's um, Steve Bin Laden? Oh Christ. Okay, <laughs> so uh, not a lot of people know this. You know the Exxon Valdez, you know, or whatever. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're going like, oh, it does have a terrible family tree or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but I like the shame and the guy like wanting to not to 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 not have to deal like yeah, yeah. forced into this project. But you may just need like it may not just uh, even like a family tree project mm-hmm. sounds like a little. Made up, kind of. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. A, in a way where I'm like, I guess I did something like that in elementary mm-hmm. school, but it, it was. Uh, so I think you. I don't know that universally everyone would go like, oh, a family tree project. If mm-hmm. I was related to a crazy person, I would assume, or like an evil, horrible person, mm-hmm. 
Obviously, that would be shameful. I would not want to have to talk about that in front of people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that then the thing that breaks my expectation of that is I'm excited, but it's because I have... I'm related to a famous yeah, actor, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like, like it just is maybe like a little too weird a path as opposed yeah. to like a, Oh, that's the opposite thing. Or that's, it's sort of like, Oh yeah, that's not what I was expecting, but only because it, I, I wouldn't have expected to go down that yeah. route almost with any premise, you know? Uh-huh. Um, it's it kind of goes back to how like the simple premise is sometimes better than the crazier. One. Yeah. Well, a lot of yeah. you can also build like more complex, weird jokes out of like, Oh, I get that. I relate. I know exactly how uh-huh. someone feels in this situation. Uh, not that complex and weird jokes are like, look, that's not even what I like. But <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it gives you like, here's the foundation you can build it off of and, mm-hmm. and stuff. But but I think if you convey like, oh, this character is definitely ashamed mm-hmm. as opposed to like, well, everyone knows if you gave this speech, you should be ashamed. And instead he's excited. But then it turns out he's excited for this other crazy reason. Mm-hmm. I think that that is kind of a lot to go through before you like go, oh, and I guess now I should laugh, you right, know, right, yeah. as opposed to like, oh, I can, yeah, I'm sorry. See, like I said, I'm talking in circles, <laughs> but, uh, but it's as opposed to like someone coming out there and acting like you think they might, okay, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm spin Laden, last name, and you're going to get a laugh on that, like, presumably. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a family chief project. It's really great. Hearing about Smith, it's really cool how your uncle played minor league baseball. That's cool, <laughs> you know. And uh, uh, you know, over there, the Dominics. That was great, you know. That's uh, interesting. You invented the donut hole, whatever, you know. Uh-huh. Like, okay, so uh, Michael <laughs> Bin Laden. Let's get into my family, yeah. And then just sort of seeing like the ugh, getting to play that dread. I think is like uh-huh. fun for a comedic actor to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a great, uh, great notes. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. Uh, all right, thanks for coming on. Do you, yeah, do you have anything? You, anything you want to plug? Um, watch Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, I think that's the only thing I've really got coming up. That's 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 out there. That will be out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really do social media stuff too much, but I'm Neeler Dude on multiple platforms. So <laughs> uh, if you want. About three Instagrams a year. That's where you'll find them. (laughs) All right, great. Thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.